0: Okay, so we're reading from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 50, and we're going to go through the end of the chapter, verse 58. Got the audio recording going, so we're good. Uh, let's begin in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, O death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is to be to God, who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. All right, so let's go back to verse 50. Um, and, and I'm going to go ahead and give you my my, my, my four points uh, on the passage before we even go through, because I don't have the PowerPoint this evening. I know some of you like to take notes and get all the, the main points down. So in, 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 verses 50, in verse 50, we're going to talk about um, beginning our journey toward being a spiritual being now, in the present. Because the Spirit, and only the Spirit, not flesh and blood, can inherit the kingdom of God. And then in verses 51 through 53, we're going to talk about the certainty of our victory in Christ over death. And then in verses 54 through 56, we're going to talk about Christ as the answer to death and to every other problem in our material existence and the fulfillment of of amazing prophecies from the Old Testament. And then in in verses uh, 57 through 59, we're going to talk briefly about what our response to all this should be, what this should engender in us. So um, going back to verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So as I, as I alluded to this morning, and, and I'll, I'll try to say it again, just because Paul says that you will be a spiritual being in the resurrection doesn't mean you can't or shouldn't get started being one now. And we're tempted to say, well, how do I become a spiritual being and still live in this world? And for the answer there, as always, we look to Christ. How was Christ a spiritual being while living? Uh, We know that he had a a body of flesh like ours and an earthly experience, a human experience like ours. And yet, who could say that he was of the flesh or of the world? He was not. He was spirit. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is why Jesus said, I am the way. Because either we follow him or we've lost our way. We do not know where we're going, and where we're going can only lead us to death and to destruction. We've lost our way without Christ, and every one of us remembers what that feels like to be lost without him. So we want to move as far away. From that sinking feeling of being lost without Christ, and as close as we possibly can to the glory of that Christ who is offered for us. How do we move closer to Christ? Well, we imitate Him. We imitate Him in our actions, we imitate Him in our life, we imitate Him in our speech, we imitate Him. In- we try to conform ourselves to, to His image as closely as we possibly can. And of course, we know that, that God aids us in this, that it is not. Um, our power, but 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 God, who helps us to make these gains and to grow in Christ, the Spirit um, uh, intercedes with us and strives with us. because like Christ, um, becoming like Christ in every possible way you can manage here is the best way you could possibly spend your time. It's the best spiritual investment you could ever make. And as we discussed this morning, that is what we will be doing in heaven. Being with, and being like Christ. So get started now. Be with him in your spirit, and know that he is with you always. Commune with him in prayer. Be like him in your conduct. This is the name of the game, the game being the Christian life. We're all doing the same Christian walk that we will be doing then. Only then when we are resurrected, when we are in heaven, our worship of him, our communion with him, our experience of him will be unlimited, will be unbounded, will be perfected. Flesh and blood and the limitations thereof will not exist in the life to come, but we will. And that should tell you something about what we are. C.S. Lewis uh, once said, and I'm probably going to mangle this quote, but it's pretty simple. Uh, he said, he said one time famously, um, "You are not a body; you have a body. You are a soul." Uh, and and I think that's actually I, I messed the quote up. But the the idea is uh, that that this this flesh is not the object uh, of our hope. This flesh is not the thing that will enter into the heavenly realms, but rather it is our resurrected. Spiritual bodies, um, which Paul compares to the glory of of planets and stars, will be will be resurrected with that kind of of glory and experience of the divine. That, that that's a big part of what we talked about this morning. And by the way, the audio of that sermon from this morning is up uh, on Facebook if you want to check that out or, or give it another listen. Or if you didn't hear part of it this morning because of technology, uh, you can catch it there. Um, but um, Moving ahead to, to 51 through 53, um, there's, there's a lot here in these verses. Um, he says, Behold, I shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. And It's always struck me the strength of the language that Paul uses there. You know, Paul doesn't say, um, I'm crossing my fingers, will be changed. Paul doesn't say maybe if we're lucky, we'll be might possibly be changed. No, he says we shall be changed. And he says it twice. For emphasis, you could assume reasonably. Um, friends, Christian hope does not mean I hope so. Christian hope means God promised so. If we doubt what God has promised us, the fault is with us and not with God. Do we believe? what God has said to us, that we will be with him and that we will see him as he sees us and know him as he knows us, like we talked about this morning. If we doubt what God has promised us, us, we need to address that. We need to look inward. We need to uh, re-examine the foundation of our faith and build up from there. Because the promises are what everything in our faith rests on the promises and the record of God, that he is faithful, faithful to fulfill what he has promised. And we'll we'll touch on that idea again here in a moment. But just keep in mind that prophecy and the inspired word of God through the centuries has been leading up to uh, the bringing of Christ into the world and has been leading to your uh, personal glorification uh, with God in the last day. This is God's plan across time for you that you would reign with him and be with him forever. We've been assured we will be with him face to face and see him as he is. And it's also struck me always as strange um, in these verses that Paul would use the term mystery. And when Paul the Apostle uses the term mystery, it it is almost always somewhat strange. Um, And and it it is almost always something worthy of of closer examination when you see that word in in um but but the the term here uh has always seemed strange to me because if we believe and if Paul's audience believed in a second coming then it seems pretty straightforward there would be human beings living on the earth at that time that would not die and would go directly to be with God as Elijah did and as Genesis um implies that that Enoch did um which by the way is is an interesting I preach a whole sermon on Genesis says, and, and I probably will one of these days, Genesis says Enoch was no more because he walked with God. He was no more because he walked with God. Friends, that is a, a rapture I can believe in. Now, the, let me explain what I mean by that before you freak out. Not people being miraculously pulled from cars on highways or being left behind, whatever the letters say. That's not what we're talking about. I mean walking with God. I mean immersing yourself So fully in God that you, as a physical material being, for all intents and purposes, cease to exist. I don't mean that if you follow God closely enough, you can be caught up into heaven before judgment like Enoch or Elijah. What I mean is that this walk and this victory that God has worked over death is bigger than just me, it's not about just me. It's about the glory of God, and where I enter into it is that I share in that glory in the last day. If I want to die to myself, then I have to live unto Christ fully. How do we do that? Well, I won't realize it fully until I get there. Even the Apostle Paul did not dare to say that he had fully grasped the knowledge of God. But what Paul says in this passage is that everything we experience here is for the purpose of leading us there. We will be changed. We will be transformed. There is no doubt about that in Christ. Christ, has had, uh, Christ, had to, uh, Christ too had to feel the pain and the anguish that comes with death and with knowing that death is coming. He experienced it fully, just like we do, and was tempted in all ways as we were. And when they laid him in the ground, he could not be held And in the same way, I will not be held in the ground by the power of death. Sorry, Satan. You cannot convince me that I am a broken seed destined never to sprout. The hope that I have in Christ is bigger than that. He has done for us and is able to do for us so much more than we can ask or expect. And it's not because I'm great. I'm not. I count myself, like Paul the Apostle said, to be the most egregious and despicable sinner who I've ever met. Um, But I know better than anybody my my imperfection and my weakness. And we all do. We know in ourselves what is weak and what um, what is imperfect about us. I don't have confidence in myself at all to stand before God. I will certainly... Require an abundant helping of mercy in the judgment. And it's a good thing then that that's exactly what God has promised us in the end. Our sins and iniquities to be remembered no more. Verses uh, 40, uh, 54 through 56 Christ as the answer to every problem with this material existence. 54. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Turn, uh, we're going to go to the Old Testament, and this is going to be a cool prophecy thing. Turn to Isaiah 25. Turn to Isaiah 25 for me. Because Paul references a couple different verses right there when he says, um, death, where is your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory. So if we turn to Isaiah chapter 25, we'll find the, the, uh, the original source that Paul's quoting here. Salt, uh, uh, Isaiah 25, uh, verses 6 through 9. Isaiah 25, starting in verse 6 and going through verse 9. The prophet Isaiah And this is um, speaking about the future and specifically the future of Israel. But we'll see more than just Israel are being brought into it. Isaiah 25, beginning in verse six. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people will take away and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in salvation. God promised here in Isaiah to swallow up and forever end the power of death, and he accomplished that through the sacrifice of Christ. We can enter into now victory over death, but death's power will be finally and fully defeated, never to be seen or heard from again. At the resurrection of Christ. Then will come to pass death swallowed in victory, death overcome by victory. And the other passage that that Paul quotes in First Corinthians at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 is Hosea, is from Hosea chapter 13. Hosea chapter 13, so flip over there uh, in the minor prophets uh, part of your Bible toward the end of the Old Testament. Hosea chapter 13 and verse 14. Hosea 13 and verse 14, and this is um, this is a very strange passage, and I think you'll see why. Uh, Hosea chapter 13 and verse 14. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. So this is, a, this is a very strange passage because the context around it is a pronouncement of judgment against Israel's sins. Even in this verse, in verse 14, he says, Compassion will be hidden from his eyes in judging them. So why is there this weird note um, where, that, that Hosea touches on about where is the sting of death? What does this? What does this have to do with anything? God redeeming, and there's this idea of God is going to redeem them from shale or, or the the the, the um, ancient Jewish conception of the land of the dead. Um, and of course, the the ancient uh, Jews did have a very, uh, I would say, incomplete understanding of of uh, of this land of the dead and of the resurrection, but. Uh, that's sort of a side note. The point remains, what is this doing in this passage about impending judgment? Well, just as the captivity in which Israel uh, was uh, ancient Israel was destroyed, just as that captivity was temporary, we were eventually allowed to return and recolonize the, uh, uh, the promised land. So just as that captivity was temporary, so our defeat and our captivity and our judgment and death is temporary. Because Israel and the whole world achieved full victory at Calvary and at Pentecost. Mission accomplished. So, and so we, can, we, we achieve our full victory in the exact same way. At the cross and by clinging to that same cross. Cling to your life and you will die. Cling to the cross name and death and criminality and you will be raised glorified, immortal, and acquitted. And when the world asks you how you can live your life with such abandon and such joy and such hope, you tell them the truth. I believe in the resurrection, and this is my power. This is my strength. None of me and all of Christ. My power is the one who will raise me from the dead. great promises that we've been given to be raised, to be changed, to be transformed into something that we do not yet recognize or see. So what should our response to all this be? How do we contend with this? Because clearly there are things about this that we can't fully understand. Just as flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom, so our earthly, uh, our, our, our physical, our fleshly minds struggles to comprehend the full glory of heaven and of what we will inherit. But I think it's interesting um, what Paul emphasizes at the very end of this section. After he said all this, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? We've achieved victory over death. And then what does he say after that? In verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. I think we've um, de-emphasized gratitude and its place in our spiritual lives to our detriment. Um, we, are, we live in a culture that, that is not, it seems, um, as gracious and as thankful as it once was. And, and this is a real problem because at almost every point when we see someone humbled or we see someone challenged, and I'm talking about heroes of faith in the Bible, when we see victory won or defeat, when we see good times or bad there is always, almost always, in in prayer and in communion with God, thankfulness as the outgrowth of that. And the idea, biblically, is that our thankfulness should be independent of whether things are going well or things are going bad for us, but that we understand that there is a bigger plan here. God is in charge, that God uh, is holding um, the strings, so to speak, So we can can say, even when we're struggling, God, thank you for putting me through this. Because the sufferings of this life are not for nothing. They're to teach us something. They're to move us towards something. And even though they can feel destructive, and even though they can make us grief, and they can cause us grief and and put us in pain, the, the, the negative and the detrimental experiences of this life Help us, help us to empathize and help us to have compassion and help us to seek the lost. We see others in the world who are struggling and in pain like we used to be, like we still are in our weak moments. And we say to them, I have the secret. Do you want to hear it? It's not an idea. It's not um, a philosophy. It's a person. He lived two thousand years ago, and he was perfect, and his teaching was perfect, and he won the victory over death for me. This hope that we have should make us impossible to move. I, I, I it is kind of a, a hacky preacher point, but I like that uh, that Mark brought that out in class this morning. That it, where there's a therefore. <laughs> In the Bible, you should figure out what, what it's there for. And I think that's that the, there's a really good uh, example of that here in verse 58. Um, it, where he's In 57, he says, thanks be to God. We're going to be thankful to God. And specifically, we're going to be thankful to God because he gives us the victory through Christ. Therefore, since we've got the victory, since it's already won, be steadfast, be immovable. Always be abounding, be growing, always be reaching for more in the work of the Lord. Why? Paul says, because you know, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. God does not have us working for nothing. We're not here doing the things of this life for no reason. It's not random. It's not purposeless. The purpose is what we are becoming. The purpose is reunion with God, perfect union with him. God does not do slave labor. If you're doing the work here and abiding in him, you will be generously compensated beyond your wildest hopes and dreams. That's the, the promise of the scripture. And I could take you, um, and, I, and in fact, I think I will. Let's turn to First Peter. Or excuse me, Second Peter, Second Peter chapter one, and we—I I read this the other day, but I just think it's so perfect to illustrate the importance of that always abounding part um, here. Second Peter chapter one, Second Peter chapter one, um, starting in. in um, starting in verse three, we'll go three through 11. And again, I read this the other day, but I think it's so crucial. 2 Peter uh, 3 through 11. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. That's what we talked about this morning. Having escaped from the the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And this is the important part, the really crucial thing that I think we need to get. Verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not that we can't fall away. It's not that we can't uh, turn our backs on God and Christ. But rather, it's that if we're working, if we're if we're increasing, if we're abounding, how will we fall? How will God allow us to fall? In this way, Peter says, and what is that way? The way is emulating those qualities that he just listed off that are qualities of our Lord. In this way, there will be richly, abundantly, is another way we could say that beyond our wildest dreams, is another uh, way we could say that, in this way will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. That's what we're looking for, and that's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about, entering that eternal kingdom in one way or another. We won't all sleep. When the Lord returns, the righteous dead will be caught up with him, with the, uh, with the dead raised as well. And that was breaking news to the ancient world. Because, as we've already touched on, the ancient Jews did not have this conception of of Christ returning and and this great day of judgment. It was rather a murky subject for ancient Jews. And so this this was, in fact, a great mystery to the audience that Paul was writing. Death will not reign forever. In fact, not even every human being will die. We will be changed instead. We will be changed and transformed in like manner to the glory that he has. And we will know him as he knows us. Again, I hope this these lessons haven't been um, too repetitive or, or, or too, uh, out there and speculative. I've tried to keep it very rooted in the text of, of 1 Corinthians 15 and what we can say um, with confidence about this subject, but I think it's also very important that we not shy away from uh, these difficult and sometimes uncomfortable subjects, such as what can we expect when we die? How do we prepare ourselves for that? And what is it that we're gaining? I hope that we've we've sort of uh, addressed these these problems, and and we've. Reinforced our our hope so that as we're walking on this Christian path, we can look to what we're what we're entering into, what we're inheriting um, and the glory that will be in the last day. Um, I'm going to offer the invitation here in a second, but I want to give you a a brief forecast of of what's coming up in terms of sermons. Um, uh, We'll be in person on Sunday morning, as as you know. And um, uh, so uh, I'm going to start this coming Sunday morning a series on the Beatitudes. Um, and so we're going to do lessons on the Beatitudes one by one for um, for quite a few weeks. Um, and we're going to try to take a, a holistic view of each one of these concepts that Jesus lays out for us. They're so beautifully simple, and yet they, they are almost endless in their applications. So we're going to look at uh, what the whole scripture has to say next week. About um, poverty of spirit, being poor in spirit, as the first beatitude, and then uh, in the evenings, Sunday evenings here on WebEx, um, I want to uh, I want to start a a series of sermons on on the life of Abraham, specifically on um, on what the life of Abraham uh, means for us as Christians. And this is something we've we've touched on some in the uh, in the Romans class. Uh, it's a it's a huge example that Paul uses. Um, and so we'll start both of those things uh, next week. And I hope those will be enjoyable studies for you. I will, I will try to uh, to make them such. Um, so just wanted to, to let you know where we're going in in the future there. And maybe you you can study ahead if you want to uh, even uh, try to stump me or something, uh, <laughs> which is not hard to do. Trust me. Um, so um, with that being said, we, we've discussed tonight and we've discussed this morning and last Sunday night and morning. Because um, we did we did four of these lessons on First Corinthians 15. We've discussed hope. We've discussed um, what we will inherit in the last day. And I think hope is an underserved um, hope is an underserved virtue in in, in the Christian world. And that and that we don't preach on it and teach on it enough. Um, but it's our motivation. It's our it's our calling. It's our destiny. And so we should preach it and teach it and embrace it. And, and love it in our lives. We, we can come to a place where, even though we don't know everything that there is to know, we love that we don't know it. Because, man, it's going to be sweet in the last day. When we realize it, when we see it, when we feel it for ourselves, there will be nothing like it you've experienced. And it will be all you For the rest of your existence, which will exist without end. So, if that's what you want to enter into, if that's the kind of hope you're looking for in your life, if that seems like an appealing motivation above things here on this earth, then the answer for you is Christ. The answer for all the world is Christ. The longings of our hearts sing for eternity. We long for eternity. In Christ, that's exactly what we gain. Here, there is nothing for us but death. Believe in Christ. Confess his name before men. Repent of your sins. And be baptized. Enter into his body.